Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Well, if you would, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, as we continue to make our way through uh, that particular book, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19 this evening. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Father, how we do pray as we come to this passage that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to see that Christ is sufficient in all things. And even, Lord, as we are very aware of the temptations and the pressures that come to us from the world, help us, O Lord, to stand firm and to be encouraged to stand firm by your word as we see Paul uh, addressing the, the the Colossians with this very thing. We ask that you would do this by your spirit and for your glory, and we ask it in the name of your Son. Amen. Very often when we're doing family worship, we begin by reading the scriptures after prayer, and then I will ask our children questions that come from the reading just to make sure that they are following along with what we're reading in family worship. And uh, one of our daughters will always say, uh, no matter what the question is, that the answer is Jesus. What's, you know, when was it that the, the Israelites were exiled? I, I wouldn't ask that specific question, but the answer would be Jesus if, if, uh, if I were to ask it. The answer is always Jesus. And you know what? And if you're talking about the Bible very often, that is the correct answer. And in the scriptures, and particularly in Paul's letter to the Colossians, this is largely the way that he addresses the Colossians with their particular struggles and the pressures that that they're experiencing. You'll remember that the reason why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians is because there is a particular heresy in that city which is distressing them. And it's pressure from the outside world in order to, uh, they want the Colossians to compromise with regard uh, to these various things. Paul doesn't give a ton of details about what the, the heresy is. But in each case, every, throughout this whole letter, and particularly in chapter 2, Whenever Paul brings something up, he always applies Christ to the situation. This is uh, the main way that Paul wants us to understand how we are to withstand the pressures of the world. And this way of speaking means that no matter what the pressures are, we know the answer. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 4, when the Apostle Paul says, Do not be persuaded 
by these kinds of persuasive words. Why is it that you are to do that? Well, in verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you not to give in to vain philosophies that are going to cheat you out of things? Well, it's because all the fullness of God dwells in Christ and you are filled in him. Why is it that you are not to let anyone judge you with regard to food and drink or any of these other things? It is because those are just shadows and the substance belongs to Christ. And why are you not to let anyone cheat you going on about all of these sorts of visions and the worship of angels? Well, it's because those who do that do not hold to the head who is Christ. No matter what it is that we face, Paul gives the answer, Christ. Christ is sufficient in all things. And no matter what it is that we are struggling with, no matter what the temptation that we're facing in our lives is, we are to withstand knowing that we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this particular passage that we've come to this evening gives us probably the clearest picture, the most details in terms of what the heresy actually was that the Colossians faced, the particular temptation that, that they felt to give into the ways of the world. Now, again, the Apostle Paul gives very few details, uh, but he does give us a few uh, in this particular passage that is before us. And what we see is that even regard to whatever these heresies are, that Christ is sufficient and you need nothing besides him. Now, we'll look at this passage under two headings addressing um, each of the, 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 the parts of the heresy that the, the Apostle Paul has chosen to give us details about. First in verses 16 and 17, we'll consider uh, that Christ is sufficient and therefore we need no more shadowy things, things which pointed to Christ, particularly uh, things from the Old Testament, Jewish practices. And then secondly, we will look at the uh, that we do not need any additions to worship, that Christ is sufficient in our worship, that we cling to him. We have no need for other intermediaries like angels or anything like that. So whether it be uh, Jewish practices that are shadows of the things to come, or whether there be any other sort of addition to our worship, Christ is sufficient and we need nothing besides him. Now look with me again at verses 16 and 17 as we consider the beginning of the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the Colossians. And again, uh, really for the first time, giving us very concrete details about the temptations that they faced. Notice there are a number of things that the Apostle Paul here describes. So that no one judge you first in regard to food and drink, and then secondly in regard to what we could call holy times, regard to festivals or a new moon or Sabbath. So what are these things referring to? Well, there were a number of food and drink laws in the Old Testament as we consider that first one. Uh, and these were given for a number of reasons in the Old Testament. For one thing, they were to set apart the Jews from the Gentiles so that the Jews would understand that they are a holy nation, uh, that they are set apart from the rest of the world. This is, this is part of the reason why uh, those laws were abolished in Christ, it's because there's no longer that distinction between Jew and Gentile. God's people now come from all kinds of people. Uh, but another reason why these laws were given was because they were meant to make someone ceremonially clean so that they could worship God. And we see here that uh, the reason why these things are no longer uh, applied, it's not just that you know, they, they, they make a division between Jew and Gentile, but also we are cleansed in Christ, therefore they are no longer uh, needed. This is uh, part of the reason why the Apostle Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, of justice, 
in the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. In Romans 14, he says that. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Mark 7 declares all foods to be clean. These were things which were meant to point to the way in which God's people would ultimately be made clean, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. They were shadows of something which was coming, but the substance is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul goes on to say. The second area which the Apostle Paul addresses is this threefold, this threefold uh, saying of a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Do not let anyone judge you with regard to food and drink, and also do not let them judge you with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, what were these things in the Old Testament? Well, the festivals were uh, particular times when the Jews needed to appear before God in Jerusalem, particularly here, uh, the Apostle Paul is thinking of, uh, of the Passover, of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. These were the three times out of the year when the Jews needed to make uh, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And the reason why they did that is because God had declared that his name would dwell in Jerusalem. And so this was to be the place of worship where these things took place. Uh, new moons refer to the monthly worship services that the Jews were to have. They, were, uh, they, they operated on a lunar calendar. And every new moon, every new month, they were to designate that day as a day of worship to God. And then also then the Sabbaths refer to the regular times once a week when the people of God would observe the Sabbaths. It's just a, is a, a way to describe all the holy times that the Jews were meant to worship God. They were to set aside these particular times for the worship of God. Now, uh, as I say this, you may be wondering, why is it that Sabbaths are included? Does this passage teach that we are no longer to worship uh, one day in seven because the Sabbath has been done away with? Notice, let no one judge you with regard to a festival or a new moon or even Sabbaths. Are we wrong to say that the fourth commandment continues with the Lord's day? Well, I think that is not the right way to read uh, this particular passage. The, the reason why the Apostle Paul is using these particular uh, descriptions for holy times is because these were the particular times that the Jews of the Old Testament were to worship God. He's not saying that it's not appropriate that we have set times to worship, but he is saying that it is now inappropriate for us to bind people's conscience and tell them that they must worship on these times, which were shadows of the things to come. And in a very real way then, even the Sabbath for the Jews was simply a shadow of something which was to come. It was to look back, if you remember, there are two descriptions of the Sabbath and uh, indications of its meaning in the Old Testament, first in Exodus chapter 20 then in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Exodus chapter 20, the reason the Jews were to observe the Sabbath is because they were to look back and remember God's work in creation. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the reason they are to observe the Sabbath is because they are to remember that they have been saved from the hands of the Egyptians. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is not that there is no longer any need for worship on particular days, but if you set aside the day of Saturday to look back to the old creation, when the new creation has begun in Christ. And if you set apart Sabbath, the, the Sabbath as Saturday to look back to the deliverance from Egypt, the first Exodus, 
when the new exodus has already been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he has fulfilled all the things which were pointed, which were but simply shadows in that first exodus, if you, if you do that, then you have abandoned the gospel. You are looking back to things of which Christ is the substance. So it's not saying that we are no longer to worship God on the Lord's day. In fact, all the more we are to worship him because the Lord's day is our particular day where we set aside one day in seven to remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was even the way this, uh, this, these concepts were understood in the early church. Uh, one of the ancient church fathers, going all the way back to the second century, early second century, he died in the early second century, Ignatius, wrote uh, with regard to the celebration of holy days, that we are not to observe the Sabbath like the Jews, but rather the Lord's Day like Christians. These things are put uh, to contrast uh, to show that even though the Jews would have their day, which he called the Sabbath, we have ours, which is the Lord Day, because the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on that day. So the point of the whole of this whole uh, this whole verse for the Apostle Paul, though, is this: whatever it is that is particular to the Old Testament way of doing things, the Old Testament worship, whether it be food or drink, whether it be any sort of holy days recognize that these things have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not let anyone judge you with regard to this. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. All of these things are shadows of the things to come. They pointed beyond themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you did not recognize that all of these forms of worship in the Old Testament pointed beyond themselves, you didn't even understand it in its own day. All of these things were meant to point to the salvation which the people of God would have in the Messiah. And once they are fulfilled in him, they have served their purpose. And from that point on, we worship in accordance with a celebration of the substance, Christ who has come. And so you think, remember the way the New Testament speaks. We are not to to be judged by food or drink because Christ is the true food and drink. He is the one by whom we are cleansed and we need no other. Christ is the true Passover lamb. We have no need to celebrate that particular festival looking back to the slaughter of a lamb which could not take away sins. Christ is the one who poured out the Spirit on Pentecost. He is the fulfillment of that. Christ is our shelter. He is the one who performed the, the last and final exodus. We have no need to dwell in booze to remember what God did for us in the first exodus. Christ has fulfilled all of it. All of these things are found in him. They are simply shadows which point to him, and we are to always cling to the substance. Now, you may hear all that and, and say, well, that's that's uh, perfectly well and good. We're not being tempted to uh, to do these particular things in our own day. Indeed, it's it's uh, usually uh, very unusual for Christians to be tempted uh, with these particular temptations uh, in the church today. Uh, it was something that was very important in the early church. This is the reason why the Jerusalem Council met. If you remember in Acts chapter 15, this was something that was upsetting the faith of many and was a, a particular question that the church had to address. And even though we may not deal with these temptations in exactly the same way as the Colossians dealt with them, we do have something of these sorts of things that, that are pressures on us. There are, are some with a particular um, kind of theological persuasion that make much of the, the national state of Israel, for instance, and want to see 
that physical place restored. But this, that sort of position is really the same sort of misunderstanding that the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. There is not really any more significance to national Israel as a national entity because the church is the true Israel. Or you can even go a step further and say Christ is the true Israel and we are the true Israel in him. If there is any blessing that's going to come to the Jews in uh, the future, it's not because they will have their own state where they will be able to live and dwell, but it's because they will be engrafted again into the church. They will be given repentance and faith and be converted uh, to the true gospel. And this is also another thing that we have to, to think through. Again, this is probably not something that many of us deal with, but we do have to be very careful not to, uh, not to think. Um, we just have to have a proper view of Old Testament worship and not, uh, not worship in these ways that uh, really have been fulfilled in Christ. There are some with a particular theological persuasion that would also be tempted to do this. But we have to be very clear that there was a very real change that happened when the Lord Jesus Christ came. He has given us new wineskins for the new wine that we have. We are not to put our new wine of New Testament worship in the wineskins of Old Testament practices. These things have been fulfilled in Christ. And the, and the Colossians are, are told, do not give in to these things. So the Colossian heresy at least included something of uh, probably a mixture of Jewish practices and other practices from other ideas, as we'll see um, from verse 18. So uh, in, with regard to Jewish practices, though, the Colossians are not to give in to any of them. They are rather to hold fast to Christ, who is the substance of all of them. But notice again, then, the Apostle Paul goes on to describe another aspect of this heresy in verse 18, which is a bit different. It could be, um, it could be related to false views within Judaism, but it, it also likely is including uh, other sort of pagan ideas that are being mixed with Judaism in some sort of syncretistic heresy, uh, the combining of the ideas from many different sources. And so verse 16 particularly deals with Jewish practice. Verse 18 is a bit broader. Notice the Apostle Paul describes these things in a number of ways. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, is the first thing that's said, in the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, so going on about visions which are false visions, being vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This is the way the Apostle Paul describes uh, these people who uh, are trying to tempt the Colossians to compromise the gospel, who are trying to get them to compromise the truth of what they have heard uh, from uh, Epaphras himself. Now, let's go through each of these particular things. Notice the first thing which is said, which is false humility. It's interesting, in the Greek text, uh, there's not a, the Apostle Paul doesn't use a separate word here. It's simply just the word for humility. And we know from uh, context that this is actually false humility. And that does uh, lead to the question, how do we distinguish false humility from true humility? What is it that the Apostle Paul is warning against uh, in this particular verse? Well, what makes false humility, false humility, is that false humility is always focused on self. It's usually, um, it's usually a false putting down of oneself so that one would appear to be humble in the eyes of others. 
And I, then the thing which, which distinguishes false humility from true humility is true humility is not a, a putting down of self, but it's rather a forgetting of self for the sake of focusing on others. There are many contexts where it could be advantageous for us to appear to be humble in the eyes of other people. And there would be a temptation then to put ourselves down in such a way that it would make us appear to be humble. But the truly humble heart doesn't do that. It rather simply says, what can I do to edify my brother or my sister? What can I do to build them up? And it simply just doesn't think about self. It simply just thinks about how to act for the good of others. And this is not the way these people were acting uh, in Colossae. Now, notice on the second thing, this is where we get the, the mixture of other ideas. For the, the, uh, the Colossian heresy seems to have included some sort of worship of angels. Now, this would have been an uh, in, addition in, in of other intermediaries, other things bef- between Christ and the worshiper, which was, of course, inappropriate. Now, we, again, are not tempted to worship angels in our own day, but there are many different groups, sections of, of what, we, what some would call the church, where there are the worship, say, of saints, there are the praying to certain saints, there are the addition of other intermediaries between Christ and the worshiper, and all of these things are uh, simply not needed. They are uh, put forward in such a way that they are, are a temptation for us to think that, you know, we're, we're missing something because we don't have the worship of angels or the worship of saints or the prayer to this or that person. But the reality is this. We have access to the Father by the Son and through the Spirit. And if we have access to the Father in this way, we simply do not have a need for any of these other things. Christ is sufficient to us and we have direct access to the Father. Now, the other thing which the Apostle Paul says here is that there is um, this, this temptation with regard to visions. There uh, was a kind of spirituality that... Uh, those in Colossae were saying, you know, if you will join us, you will be able to have these sorts of visions that we have had. We have had these visions of God that really make us and our spirituality better than the thing that you have. You're missing something by holding only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Has he ever given you such a vision as these sorts of things? We have not just Christ, but we have all of these other angels that we have in our worship. Now, again, we don't have these things exactly the way the Colossians do. But there is a group, again, a certain theological persuasion that will say that there are certain manifestations of the Spirit that a Christian is in some ways incomplete if he does not have them. And again, our answer must be the same. We do not need these things because Christ is the final revelation and vision of God. There, in various times and in various ways, God spoke to us by the forefathers, to our forefathers in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And his son is the explanation of the father to such a degree that the Lord Jesus Christ can say, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. There is no reason to go uh, and seek out other sorts of visions or even other extreme manifestations of the spirit when Christ himself is sufficient in every way. Now, the final thing which the Apostle Paul uh, uses to describe this heresy is that they are puffed up in their fleshly minds. 
It's a very interesting combination that the Apostle Paul begins by speaking of their humility and he ends by speaking of their pride. That there is a way in which, uh, and these two things actually always go together, false humility is actually always paired not with uh, some sort of lowliness, but actually with pride. You want other people to praise you for because of uh, your apparent humility or lowliness in their eyes. You want them to praise you because you are uh, beyond them in terms of your spirituality. And so these people who go on about this, this kind of humility, this worship of angels, and going on about these visions, which are false visions, they themselves are actually those who are consumed more than anyone else with pride. And this is something that the Apostle Paul says must be avoided. And again, how do we avoid pride? How do we, how do we live with true humility? Well, we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and we seek his glory and honor and not our own. We seek to edify our brothers and sisters and not ourselves. And so the Apostle Paul describes this, these people. He says, don't let anyone cheat you. Anyone who is described in this way, anyone who has going on about this, this kind of false humility, this worship of angels, this adding of intermediaries into worship, these, these sorts of, of strange visions which we have not explained to you, these are the people who are, who are puffed up and who are proud, and these are the people who ought to be avoided. And the Apostle Paul then, then goes on to say in verse 19 that, that the reason they are like this is because they do not cling to the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is sort of a, a, a subtle and indirect exhortation to the Colossians here. They don't do that. They don't cling to the head. And if you are to avoid them, you are to cling to the head. Because the head is the one from whom all of the body is nourished and grows. The Apostle Paul uses this image of a body. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head and the entire church is the body which is connected to the head. And the point is this, if you're not attached to your head, you're dead and you can't grow. If you're not nourished by the head, then you have no hope whatsoever. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, listen, these people may be telling you that they have all these things, but they're not clinging to the head. And if they are not clinging to the head, then they are dead. They have nothing. It's not just that they may have some things that you don't, they literally have nothing because they do not have Christ. Christ is sufficient and you need nothing beyond him. No matter what it is that the world is offering you, no matter what it is that the world is saying that you are missing out on as a Christian, you are missing out on nothing. Christ is sufficient and you need nothing besides him. All of it is emptiness and all of it leads simply to death. Christ himself has, has given a number of, of examples to, to illustrate this, this principle. He said in the Gospel of John, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you do not remain in the vine, you cannot bear fruit. If you do remain in the vine, you will bear much fruit. If you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will grow. And how is it that you grow? How is it that being a part of the church, the body of Christ, being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, being united to him by faith, how is it that that makes you grow? Well, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, which we could take as a, a parallel passage, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who descended into the lowest parts of the earth, ascended to the right hand of God, where he received the Spirit, whom he pours out upon his people. 
giving them the various ministries of the church that they might grow with the growth which comes from God. That is to say, the only way that you can grow as a Christian is the Christ who's at the right hand of God pouring out his spirit upon his people. He is the one who is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and there is no other. There is no other who could have died in such a way to atone for the sins of his people, who could have, even as he says in John chapter 10, raise himself from the dead, the one who has authority to lay down his life and authority to take it back up again, to ascend to the throne of God in heaven, to receive the Spirit from the Father, and to pour him out upon his people. If you have this Christ, you need nothing else. You need only to cling to the head. Whatever anyone else is offering you, it is simply insufficient and meaningless and nothing. If you have Christ, you have everything. If you do not have Christ, you have nothing. Now, this is uh, the, the biblical faith that Christ is everything. And this even was uh, the doctrine that was recovered in the time of the Reformation. Why is it that we think that Reformed theology is biblical in this church? Well, if you remember, uh, one of the ways that Reformed theology was summarized or could be summarized is the solas of the Reformation. Remember what they are. The scriptures alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and glory to God alone. All of these things related to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in some way. The scriptures which proclaim him alone, he is the only head of the, of the church. We do not allow the church to, to speak to things which it cannot have uh, the authority to speak to. Grace alone, it's only by uh, the grace which is provided in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Christ alone is obviously all about Christ. And even faith, though, it's not our works that it might be seen, that it is only Christ's work. And faith is simply the means by which we receive Christ's work. And all this means to glory the glory to God alone. Christ is sufficient in all things. Christ is alone the one who is to be praised. And Christ is the one alone in whom salvation is. This is the teaching of the Bible from the beginning to end. That man is a sinner. That he can do nothing to save himself. But God acted by giving one Savior. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be an encouragement to you as you face all of the trials and temptations in this world. I am very much aware that we do face a great number of temptations, that there is a great pressure from the world, and that we have a number of problems with many details that are complicated, and we don't need to ignore those details or gloss over them. But still, the main thing that you need is to hold fast to the head. If you hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ, and remember who he is, you will be given the grace to stand and to be found in him on that last day where you will be blessed with an inheritance which no one can take from you. Let's pray. Father, how we do thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we do thank you for giving him for us. Lord, we rejoice that there is no other name given among men by which we can be saved. Lord, when we think of all that he did, what else, can we, what else can we do but confess this, that he is the one who died, he is the one who was raised, and we are found in him by your spirit. Lord, help us in our own context to stand firm. The pressures are real. 
Lord, we do not make light of them. We are always uh, under attack. And yet, Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. Give us the grace to stand firm, O Lord, and to honor you, that your name might be praised and even that your church might be built up. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.